3. If you didn't get an outline and you want an outline this morning, if you slip your hand up real quick and get an outline to follow along with the message. There's only one point today, and I thought it was going to be a much shorter message than last week, but I was wrong. I guessed wrong on that one. Because last hour we have two morning services, so I get to practice with them, and then you guys get the real message the second time around. And so I don't know if it's quite like that, but um, Ephesians chapter number 3. And my plan and my goal was to go from verse number 1 through verse number 7 this week. And then there was just a phrase there in chapter number 3 that really stuck out to me. And so because of that, I decided to uh, really think on that thought. And honestly, I said last service, I don't know if I chewed on it enough yet to be ready to preach it. But I feel that this is what God wanted, and so that's why I preached it. So this morning, my prayer is that as we look at the Word of God today, that you'd be able to get what the Lord gave me, and I pray that we're able to do that this morning. We look at our text, it's one verse, and you look at this verse, and you're going to say, how are you going to have a whole sermon out of this one verse? We're going to, just wait and see. In fact, it was 43 minutes last service that I preached on this one verse. But this morning, how many of you could say at one time or another in your life, you've gone through a hard time? Raise your hand. Oh, every hand is raised. I was going to say, if someone hasn't gone through a hard time in life, you know, it might be, it might be the five-week-old in here. Maybe she hasn't gone through, but if she doesn't get fed, would she be fed or changed when she's ready? That's hard for a five-week-old even. And uh, that's a hard life being a little baby, isn't it? And so it's just hard on the mom and dad and sleep. Do you guys sleep a lot now? You do? The, she, wow. What a blessing. What a blessing. Wow. A little jealous right now. Our kids still don't wake up just once a night. Our two-year-old's up at least three times a night. And, uh, oh, that's great. Oh, so good. Good. All right. So we're here in Ephesians chapter number three. Never expect. No, that's a good thing. That, take it. That's wonderful. So that's great. And uh, Ephesians three, verse number one, one verse this morning. The Bible says here, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Like, okay, where are we going with this? You'll see in just a minute. We've been going through, since the beginning of August, we've gone through the book of Ephesians here. We've seen a lot of rich, wonderful things in the Word of God. And Paul is getting ready to pray a prayer for the church at Ephesus. That prayer doesn't begin till verse number 14 is where it begins. So Paul, from verse number 1 through verse number 13 here, he does some talking here, and he explains some things. But the phrase that really stuck out to me, and a lot of times it's important that you look at the Bible and you see what it says, this has stuck out to me. The prisoner of Jesus Christ. When we think of Jesus, we think of freedom, right? We think of liberty. We think of the chains of sin being broken. So why does Paul call himself right here the prisoner of Jesus Christ? Well, for the next little bit of time that we have together, I want to preach on that thought, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. So number one, if you're following along in your outline, you can mark this down and then get ready. We've only got three sub-points. You say, where's the number? If you have a one, you need a two and a three. Those of you who, don't, those of you who know English, point number two is next Sunday. And two Sundays will be point number three. So I understand how an outline works. So today, you're only getting number one, okay? 
We're looking at three different areas of Paul. Number one day, I want to look at Paul the prisoner. That's number one this morning. And we see that verse, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. The Bible tells us here a lot of things here in the book of Ephesians. In this letter, we learn about who we are and our identity in Christ. We learn about what has happened because of God's grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. We discover the truth that grace is the reason that we're saved in the first place. It has nothing to do with us. We learn that how lost we really were before we came to Jesus Christ, and he delivered us from the bondage and the deadness of sin. We've learned that in Jesus Christ, those of us who were afar off are brought near to God. And that wall between, that wall of separation, that middle wall of partition there in chapter number two is broken down. We learned all these things. We learned that because of that middle wall being broken down, that we are in his kingdom. We're citizens of his kingdom. We're members of his family. And we're stones in that building, that temple that God's building. We're all a part of that. That was last Sunday. As Paul begins this chapter, chapter number three, he begins with the intent of praying for the church here. But before he does that, he makes this opening statement. And I believe this opening statement, if you'll look at it and look with me this morning, have your hearts open to what God has for you, you could really get something to help you in the hard times of life this morning. I want you to see this morning, I want to focus on that phrase, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. We see number one, Paul's the prisoner, letter A, we see the context of his imprisonment. Verse 1 lets us know that Paul was a prisoner. The word prisoner means one held in bonds. By the time that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he'd been in prison for five years already at this time. And I wouldn't want to go to prison today, but think to prison back in Bible days. And what was Paul's crime? Are you ready? Honestly, his crime was he preached Jesus Christ. The same thing I'm doing this morning is what Paul got arrested for. We have it so good today. To the freedom and liberty we have to preach the gospel. Back in those days, it wasn't so free, and there's been a lot of time through history where it hasn't been that way. But Paul identifies himself as a prisoner. He say, well, what was he arrested for? Back in Acts chapter number 21, Paul decides he's going to go back to Rome. Uh, not to Rome, to Jerusalem. And there were people there that warned him. They said, you go to Jerusalem, they don't like you there. They're going to kill you. They're going to imprison you. They're going to put you in bond is what's going to happen. And stocks. And so what we see happen is in that chapter, Paul was charged with taking a man, and Trophimus, a Gentile companion, into a forbidden area of the temple in Jerusalem. That's what Acts 21 tells us. So they arrested Paul on that thought. And you've got to understand something. Paul didn't do this. But the Jews believed he did. They tried to kill him. And because of that, Paul reminded them of the fact that he was a Roman citizen. So because of that, the Roman soldiers protected him. He was still under arrest, but they protected him from the Jews killing him. Do you get what I'm saying? And so the Jews wanted Paul dead. The Romans were obliged to protect him. And, there was, and since there was no proof of his guilt, that's what happened. Eventually, Paul was taken to Caesarea where he spent two years in prison. While there, he was examined by lots of people. The Jewish Sanhedrin, the Roman governors, Felix and Festus, and before King Agrippa. 
And if Paul didn't appeal all the way to Caesar, King Agrippa probably would have let Paul go. But since he made an appeal to Caesar, he had to go to Rome to appeal to Caesar what had taken place. It took about a year to get to Rome. And that's a long time. Once he got to Rome, he was under house arrest for two years. So house arrest. How would that work back in those days? You know, nowadays, if you're under house arrest, so I don't, you say, how do you know this? Not because it's ever happened to me, but some people in our church have told me how it's happened. No, I'm just teasing. But nowadays, under house arrest, you'd wear a little ankle monitor, and they know where you go. Back in Bible days, they didn't have that technology yet, okay? So what would happen is during the day, you were free to be inside your house. You could move around your house. You were not chained up or anything like that. But at night, you were chained to a Roman soldier. Imagine sleeping with a Roman soldier right next to you all night long and chained to that Roman soldier. Why? Because they didn't want you to get away. And so Paul, the last two years of his life, was in, under house arrest. And each day he would be able to roam around. And then at night he would be... Um, bound to a Roman soldier. Think about this. Paul's life was probably not what he thought it was going to be. When Paul got saved and he started preaching the gospel, I think Paul thought, people are going to get saved. I'm going to be able to travel. And remember the mission trips he went on? The missionary journeys he went on? And he preached the gospel in all these different places. And these people received Christ. Some people didn't like him along the way. He was stoned a few times. There's lots of things that happened and all this different stuff. But Paul... I'm sure he did not think his life would end up, the last bit of his life he would spend five or so years, probably by the time seven or so years in prison before his death. Isn't that how life is, though? Nothing goes the way we plan for it to go. I'm going to give you a great example of that. Yesterday, we had our grocery giveaway here at church. We do it every, we've been doing it for years. And a couple of years ago, we used to go to parks all the time and do it. And you could always, you just, an hour beforehand, you go pass out flyers. People would come. You're able to give out the turkeys, give the plan of salvation. Everything's great. Well, last year we decided, I tried something else. I tried a Facebook advertisement. And there's a thing called Eventbrite. It talks about, it gives you all the free events in your area. So I tagged that and I made an event on there. Last year I did this and we had 100, I looked at it again, 121, no, sorry, we had 122 people sign up to come, and we had 86 people come of those 122. That was the exact number. I, looked, I keep track of my calendar and things. And so yesterday, we had 295 tickets that were taken. Well, last year, 122, okay? So 122, and you had the 80-some that came. So you think, 295? How many people are going to come? So I had everything ready. I had everything ready to go, and I thought, if there's too many people here, because this building, you know, we could fit probably 130 in here, I could do two services if we needed to, like we do Sunday morning. I'll make it all work. We'll be fine. Five minutes before one, there was no one here. No one. Well, the people at our church that helped, you're not no ones, okay? You're someone special. <laughs> but no new people were here. 295 tickets were gotten, and not one person here. And I started to, I can't believe, and last service, one of the things, that, this never happens. I think I said that probably 20 or 30 times because this does never happen. It was 120 because the only thing I did different, okay, I put on there we were going to have a service before the turkey giveaway. I never put before we were going to have a service. I think it was the service that might have scared some people off. I don't know. 
but to see if they were to spend a little time around me, they would love me like all of you do, and we'd get along just fine, right? And if you don't love me, just keep that to yourself, okay? I, I still love you. It's okay. But um, 120, 130, we had 12 people that showed up out of 295 that I thought were going to be here. And you know not all of them were going to come. I was playing 140 was my guess. 12. What happened? It's not what I planned. But of the 12 that came here, three of them trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Amen. So praise God for that. But we had a problem. We have 30 frozen turkeys and two freezers that people put all their junk in there downstairs anyways. There's no room for, any th no room for turkeys. What do you do with 30 turkeys and 28 bags of groceries? So it's 120. The folks that were here were getting witness to. I said, I'm going to run home. I got the bus key. So let's throw them all on the bus. We're going to go to Monta Vista Park. We'll print some flyers, and we'll see what happens. So was our plan to go to the park? No. My plan yesterday, I had a lot to do yesterday. We had that going on. Today's my dad's 78th birthday. Because of church and because of our dinner tonight, I'm not going to be able to go see him today. So I went last night to go see him and spend some time with him. So the goal was we were supposed to get done with the service and all that. I could go down there, get back here, get all my stuff ready for Sunday, and everything be great. That was the plan. That was my plan for the day, okay? Had it all planned out. Two o'clock, we're getting to a park when we're supposed to be done, and we're passing out flyers. By three o'clock, 3.30, four o'clock, somewhere in there, all the turkeys were gone. People came. All the groceries were given out. 20 people got saved at the park. Yeah. yeah, praise the Lord. But think about this. My plan was never to go to a park yesterday. I didn't want to go to a park yesterday. But God had a different plan. And those 20 people would never heard of Christ if all the people that were supposed to come here showed up. So by them not showing up, God's will was accomplished even though I didn't quite understand it. I didn't get back here till 5.30 with the bus. Then I had to take my dad's car down to him, spend a little time with him, got back here about 8.30, and I was in my office from 8.30 till midnight, got home, studied my sermon for a little bit, and went to bed probably about 1.30, somewhere in there. That was not my plan. Isn't that how life goes, though? You have a plan. You get a job, and you think, this job's going to be just what I need going to take care of everything. I got a raise, and I'm all set. And then, you know, just, just a few weeks ago, I paid off a bill of ours. And you said it. Because literally, I'm, I'm learning. You know, we, when we first started pastoring and things, we went to the dentist. And the dentist, they just take your money. That's what they do. I'm praying the Lord brings a dentist to our church that will give us all a good discount, right? And becomes a member of our church. We have, we have, we have people that do different tasks, but not a dentist. And so, I, literally, in, in October, I paid our last payment from all of our dental bills from four years prior. I went into the dentist in October because a tooth broke. And they showed me several where the dentist did not them properly and didn't clean them out properly. And I had three root canals that needed to be done. And maybe a fourth one, which we'll know in a couple weeks. I had, you know, you think about, you just pay off the $6,000 bill you had and you're going to have an extra $250 every month. 
guess what? 8000 for what I needed done. And I got the first monthly payment this last week. 301 $51 more than what I was paying before. And I was so thankful to have an extra $250, and then it's gone. If I could just quit drinking Dr. Pepper, I know that would help. But... <laughs> I tell you, but anyways, we'll get off of all that. But life just doesn't go how you have it planned. You're going to go on this dream vacation, and then the car breaks down on the way there. That's what life is like. Life has a bunch of unexpected things that happen. And what you got to understand is this. The fact is, when we look at our lives honestly, in all honesty, we do not know what's best for our own lives. We like to think we know what's best. We like to think we know what we need and when we need it, but what you got to understand is this. Why don't we know what's best for our lives? Because we don't have all the information. You cannot see far down the road. Guess what? You don't know what's going to happen in 20 minutes. In fact, none of us know what's going to happen in one minute. We could still all be here in one minute. The Lord could come back in the next minute. An airplane could crash on our building in the next minute. Who knows what could happen? You honestly don't know what's going to happen. We, don't, we can't see that far down the road. We don't even know what, when we look at all that, and that's why it's hard for us when we see things, but what you've got to understand is this. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, Paul was right where God wanted him to be. That's hard for people to accept. God put Paul and allowed Paul to be in prison so that he might expand his ministry. You're like, couldn't he have expanded his ministry better by not being in prison? So that's what we would think, right? Sounds sound strange to our ears that by Paul being in prison, it really expanded his ministry. But it's the truth this morning. You see, if you are a saved child of God today, and guess what? If you're saved, you belong to God today. You're under his direction, and he determines the path of your life. Bible tells us, Solomon said this in Proverbs chapter number 3, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all your ways, in all that, acknowledge him, and guess what he's going to do? He shall direct thy path. He also said in chapter 16, verse number 9, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. In Jeremiah chapter number 10, Jeremiah said like this, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. And who directs our steps as Christians? The steps of a good man, they're ordered by the Lord. The Lord orders our steps. So you say this morning, you say, Pastor, what you're saying is that God led Paul to a place to be in prison. He allowed it. He did. Say, does God allow the circumstances in my life to happen? He does. Something I want to help you with, though, and make sure you understand this this morning. I had someone a while back when I was talking about the sovereignty of God and how God understands all, he knows all things. I had someone come to me and they're like, well, pastor, I was molested as a teenager. And our world is so sick. It's an awful thing what happens to a lot of kids and teenagers today. And you read about it in public schools. It happens a lot with teachers you read about it happening in churches, and it's wrong. It's better that a millstone were cast around your neck than you offend a little one. 
I'm a firm believer in that. But she's like, I was molested. You're telling me God let me be molested. That's what you got to understand with God, okay? I, I need you to pay attention here for a minute because a lot of people miss this. God knows everything that takes place. There's nothing God does not know. God knew before the foundation of the world those who would be saved. The Bible talks about that. Which means that before he ever created Adam and Eve, he knew that Adam and Eve would sin. Correct? God knew before he ever made Adam and Eve, before he ever created the world, he knew that Cain would kill his brother Abel. Correct? Yes. God knew what would happen. What was God's plan and purpose? Was God's will for Adam and Eve to sin or for them to live in a perfect place and in a perfect world? God's plan was for Adam and Eve. God's will was that Adam and Eve never sinned. Say, well, why did they sin? God gave them a choice. They had a choice. Say, well, does God, God, so God, God allowed what happened to me to happen. God gives every one of us a free will. If God were to stop free will, would it be free will? No. Say, well, you got to understand something. God may have allowed a situation to happen, but God's not the one who did it. That person did it, correct? Say, well, if God's God, he wouldn't have allowed that to happen. If God is God, he gave us free will. This is what God does, and this is what people misunderstand. God is able to take the awful situations of life. We'll use that young lady and her being molested, which is an awful thing. God can still work in the midst of sinful man and the wickedness of man. God can take that circumstance and still make something great out of it. God did not do it. But because of free will, it was done. But God's able, you think about Adam and Eve in the garden. God's will was that they never sinned. They sinned. They chose to sin. So God said, okay, you decided to sin. I'll send my son someday. And the seed of a woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent. Man, sin more. All right, I'm going to bring the flood. But I'm going to have a boat that will save Noah and his family. You have the Tower of Babel and all these, and all along the line, man has done their best to ruin God's plan all the way along. Guess what? God's plan still moves forward today because God's able to take and work in the midst of sinful man and all the things that happen around us. That's what you got to understand. So what we sometimes view is God allowed that to happen in my life. God is not going to stop free will. But God can take what happens and use what happens for his glory in the midst of the wicked, perverse world we live in. If you get a hold of that thought, it really could change your Christianity. It's powerful when you think about it. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. We see, number one, we see the context of it. He was in prison. We see, number two, we see the cause of this imprisonment. Number two, the cause of this imprisonment. Look what the verse says. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Look what it says. For you Gentiles. Paul said, I'm in prison for you in Ephesus. 
Guess what he's saying today to us through the inspiration through God here? The reason why Paul was in prison was for us. Say, well, how, what do you mean? God took a strong, prejudiced, powerful Jewish man, saved him by his grace, and sent him out to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The Jews hated Paul for that fact. They saw him as a traitor to God. They saw him as a traitor to the law. They saw him as a traitor to his birthright. And they wanted him dead. And they did everything within their power to get rid of Paul. When Paul was arrested and carted off to Caesarea and then to Rome, the Jews probably assumed they were finished with Paul forever. It's kind of how the Jews felt when they got rid of Jesus. They had his trial at night. They arrest him at night. All these things happened at night. And I'm sure that the high priest felt, Caiaphas, he's gone, he's done, he died, we're through with this. And 2,000 years later, that same name that they tried to eradicate that day is still the name whereby you must be saved. That name of Jesus is still the name today that is saving people. It's still the only hope that we have, that name of Jesus Christ. And just as the Jews thought they would get rid of Jesus, they never did. And as the Jews thought, if we could just get rid of Paul, we could silence him once and for all, this is what happened. They believed they silenced him. They might have stopped Paul from traveling around the world, but guess what? When you're in prison... You have a lot of time on your hands. I hear people often, Pastor, I just don't have enough time. Just go to prison. Plenty of time then, okay? And I'm, I'm teasing when I say that. But in prison, you got time. Time and time and time and time. You get sick of time. But um, what did Paul do with the time he had on his hands? Where did the book of Ephesians come from? Paul being in prison. Where did the book of Philippians come from? Paul being in prison. Where did the book of Colossians come from? Paul being in prison. Where did the book of Galatians come from? Paul being in prison. Where did 1 and 2 Timothy come from? Paul being in prison. Where did Titus come from? Paul being in prison. Most of Paul's writings, Rome to Romans, all the books he wrote, most of them he's in prison. If he was out preaching and traveling the world, preaching the gospel, he wouldn't add time to pin all the epistles we have before us today. Most of us sitting in the room, and yesterday I was able to lead four to the Lord and share the gospel with them. Do you know a lot of the verses I shared with them were out of the book of Romans? And if Paul wasn't in prison, who would have pinned all those words? Who would have had the time? You see how God could take something that we look at and be like, this just doesn't make a whole lot. Why would God allow this into my life? And God says, hey, Paul, I'm doing something in you. I'm working it all out. And Paul was able to do so much. Do you realize today most of the theology, when we look at the doctrine of the church, it all comes from Paul's epistles. Paul penned those while he was in prison. The Jews unwittingly helped place Paul in a position where God could use him for all eternity. Amen. And we're still benefiting by the error of the Jews today. 
God used Paul to lay an incredible foundation for us in the church, and God eventually used Paul's imprisonment to expand his ministry. And if Paul were free to do as he pleased, he would have traveled around preaching place to place, and he may have never penned these words that God had given him. He ended up in the place where he could do the most good. And even in Paul's day, think about this. The Bible talks about Paul was not the best of speakers. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 10.10. For this letter, say they, are weighty and powerful. The letters I write, Paul, say, they say they're weighty and powerful. But when I was there with them, they say his bodily presence, he's weak. And his speech contemptible. He couldn't even speak very good. He was a little weak. He looked sick when he was with us. But man, his writings, they're powerful. They're weighty. And look at what God used in Paul's life. And let me just say this morning, this is just, you got to remember as we look at this here, Paul's ministry may have been no more than a footnote in the history of the church had it not been for his imprisonment, the time to write down all the divine revelations that were given to him by the Lord. Paul suffered, but we benefit today because of Paul's suffering. This is just a reminder that nothing can derail God's plans. He accomplishes his purposes in spite of the opposition of the enemy. And I praise God for that this morning, don't you? I'm not going to stop him. You're not going to stop him. The devil's not going to stop him. The Jews couldn't stop it. No one could stop it. He's the Lord. He's in charge of all things. And at all times, no matter how things appear before us, God has us where we are, where we can bring him the most glory. It's there you'll be prepared for the assignments that he has for you down the road. And it's there you will be molded into the image of Christ. It's there where you will grow, be developed, and shaped for his glory. He has you right where he wants you to be, just like he did Paul. We see the context of his imprisonment. We see the cause and, the, and letter C. Now, you might say, whoo, pastor, you're almost done. This is good. We're just about there. We're on the last point, but don't put your shoes back on yet. Wait a few more minutes, okay? There's something important I want you to see. We see letter C, the controller of his imprisonment. Think about this with me. The Jews were the ones who arrested Paul. They didn't see, guess what? To them, Paul was their prisoner. But Paul didn't say in this verse, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of the Jews. He didn't see himself as a prisoner of the Jews. Hey, um, they charged him with blasphemy. They wanted to kill him. The Romans had to protect him, so he became a prisoner of the Romans. But I don't see in this verse where Paul says, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Rome, for you Gentiles, I don't see that there. You see, guess what Paul knew? He knew the Jews could not hold him. The Romans could do nothing to him. Caesar had no power over him, except it were given by God. That's what that phrase is all about. Paul saw himself as the prisoner of Jesus Christ. That phrase suggests the idea that Paul saw Jesus Christ as the ultimate 
cause behind his imprisonment. And he knew that unless God had ordained it, he, would be, he wouldn't be where he was. That's hard for us to accept. I don't like where I'm at in life. I don't like the circumstances around what's going on in my life. I don't like this or I don't like that. The Romans may have chained Paul, but Paul was bound to Jesus Christ. Paul's perspective regarding his trial served to help his faith grow. Because if Paul thought that he was the prisoner of the Jews or the prisoner of the Romans, he would have given up and fallen to deep discouragement. But he knew that everything he faced was part of God's plan for his life. That's what Philippians 1, verse 12 through 14. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me, Paul's saying all the things that have happened to me, have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Amen. These things happen unto me so the gospel could go out further. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all pa- the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren of the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And Paul was saying, I was able to write these letters and encourage the people of God to do more for God. And God's taken my imprisonment and taken me where I'm at. And he's able to do so much with it. His perspective on the situation. You see, perspective is very important. Perspective is everything. Let me say this this morning. How you view the events of your life is more important than the events themselves. Let me say that one more time. How you view the events of your life is more important than the events themselves. You see, we're taught in the Bible to walk by faith and not by sight. We're taught in the Bible that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We are taught that we should rejoice in our trials that come. Hold your place here in Ephesians chapter number 3 and go with me to James chapter number 1. I want you to see a couple verses there real quick. James chapter number 1. The author of James, we know it was given by inspiration of God. The human author God used is James, Jesus' half-brother. James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Look at what verse number 1 tells us. James, a servant of God, and of the, and of the 12 tribes, and to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. James is writing to who? The 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. Why were the, tw- and so Paul, I mean, sorry, James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He's writing a letter to all of his old church members that have been scattered out because of the persecution that came into the church. Do you get what I'm saying there? So he says, look at verse number two, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diversity. When you get tried, count it all joy. Hey, this trial that's coming where the persecutions come to the church, count it joy. Isn't that a tough thing to do? Knowing this, verse three, that the trying of your faith worketh patience but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And we see that our trials that come, we should rejoice in them because they're helping to grow us to be what God wants us to become. 
Perspective. Perspective. Let me ask you this morning in your life, who's the warden in your life today? Are you a prisoner of circumstances? Or are you a prisoner of the Lord? Paul saw himself under the direct sovereignty of God himself. He understood the truth that God was directing his steps. That's what Psalm 37 says. It says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Paul understood that. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Paul understood that God was working things out. Job 23.10, Scripture tells us, but he knows the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. See, Paul understood these things. Church, this morning, if you're a prisoner of your circumstances, guess what? You're going to be a miserable person. If you allow the actions of others to dictate and to, to those to cause you problems, you're going to have no joy. If you allow setbacks, the problems, the trials, the tribulations, and all these other things that happen in life, and you realize that God knows what's going on, and God allows it, you can have joy in the midst of a hard time. That's why Paul could say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice in prison. That's where he was. We need to comprehend that. Think about this. If we could comprehend the truth that every good thing and every bad thing, every mountain, every valley, every success, every failure, every blessing, and every burden, every moment of peace and every moment of pain are all the work of God in your life, you can have joy. Let me remind you of something this morning. Our lives are not the product of chance, karma, luck, or accident. They're the product of a loving, sovereign God who controls all of life for his glory and for our good. Our duty, even when we can't comprehend the burdens and the problems of life, is to bow humbly before the Lord and accept the path that he's chosen for us. Anything less is a recipe for disaster. But humbly submitting to God brings peace and ultimate blessing in the Lord's time. A lot of times, a lot of Christians love to quote the verse, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Because God cares so much about us, and he does. If you're saved today and in this room, your Heavenly Father loves you more than anybody could ever love you. And He cares about you. He cares about you so much. But one of the things we fail to do, and a lot of pastors, as a pastor, sometimes pastors fail to do, we don't look at the verses that come right before it. 1 Peter 5, verse number 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Look at the end of this verse. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. Now look at verse number six. Now, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, and English I struggled with in school and in college. But one of the things I remember, when you have those two dots on each other at the end of a verse, that's a colon there, okay? You see that? 
It's a colon, which means verse 6 and 7 tie together. Correct? I think you'd agree with that. Before you cast all your care upon him because he cares about you, what do you got to do? Look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Then you cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. There's probably some of you that are saying in this room that when people struggle in our church and go through a very hard time, I do my very best, and as our church has grown, at times it's hard. I try to always be there right away. And that's one of the privileges I have of being your pastor, being able to be there in situations. And it's not always easy. Sometimes I pull the car up and I don't know what I'm going to say. I remember several years back when I heard that Rebecca had cancer. And I went right away. I also, we also anointed her with oil and prayed over her. And that was one of the messiest things that's ever happened. I've totally cleaned it up now. It's a lot better than how it used to be. And uh, they didn't teach you in Bible college how to anoint someone with oil. And for some reason, I thought it was a lot thicker than what it was going to be. No, and it went all over my hand. She had a nice sweater on, and it was a mess. But um, anyways, it was a learning process for me. But one of the things that I tell people, I tell them two things. I say, what's going on in your life can do one of two things. It's either going to get you mad and bitter at God, or it's going to draw you closer to God. And I say, I beg you, please get close to God through what's going on. The key to it all is this, and stick with me here. We're going somewhere. And this could really help you if you get this. Pride says, why do you allow this in my life? Why, why me? Humility says, God, I don't understand it. But I know you do and I trust you. God resisteth the proud. But we have a tendency when things are going rough in our life, that's when we have the tendency to be, oh, why does that have to happen to me? God, why me? Why not someone else? Why is this in my life? Why does this have to happen to me? And pride, God resisteth the proud. That's why it's important. This verse is very important. You're not going to understand everything. You're not. I wish I could. But I'll tell you this. You humble yourself. God, I don't get it. I know all things work together for good. I know what your word says. I trust you. But God, I can't bear this alone. I need your help. The difference between getting bitter at God and between casting all your care upon God is the difference between pride and humility. That's the key. If pride creeps in, you cannot get the help from God that you need, and that's when you get mad at God and you get bitter at God because you blame God for everything that happens. Quit blaming God. Some of the circumstances in your life are the people that you've been around. It's their fault. Some of the things that happen in our lives is our fault because of the things that we do. Don't blame God. God gives you a choice. So the question is, do you come to him humbly or do you come pridefully? 
And when you're prideful and that's when you turn bitter and mad at God, how many times have I had someone going through a situation like, Pastor, I just feel like God's nowhere. Well, guess what? He's always there. He'll ne- he never leaves. But when you're prideful, how can he work and help you? Those of you who have kids, they grow up. And think about when your child is a teenager. We'll use teenagers as an example because teenagers get attitudes at times, right? How many of you were ever a teen with attitude? Anybody? Be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same ones who raise their hands are adults with attitude, but that's okay. We won't go there this morning. When you, had, when you have a, had a teen that has an attitude and you're trying to correct them on something or to help them, can you help them much when they have an attitude? No. No. I'm, I'm sure the story, but don't tell my daughter about it. She's got this little thing lately where if she gets in trouble for something, <laughs> and she starts going like that. You cannot deal with her when she's like that. It, I can talk to her. I can... <laughs> It does no good because she, you know, and she's not listening to me. She's huffing and puffing, going to blow her house down. I don't know what she's doing at that time. She's seven years old. God help me when she turns 13. I don't even know what I'm going to do. But at seven, she's, you can't deal with her when she's like that. And then sometimes I get upset about it. Like, you just need to stop now. It doesn't do any good. <laughs> I, I can't! Like, you know what? Just go sit in your room until you're done. When you're done, come talk to me and we'll deal with this. How can God help us when we're full of pride? Why are you allowing this? Well, that's why the Bible says humble yourself. God, I submit myself to you. And God, I just need help though. Big difference in coming to God with pride and coming to him in humility. That's what I'm talking about here. Maybe this morning there's something in your life and you've been prideful about it. Why don't you humble yourself this morning? And guess what? He'll exalt you. He'll lift you up. He'll help you. That's what the Lord does. But a lot of times we look at these two verses and uh, we love to quote casting our care upon him, but we leave out the very important step in verse six to humble ourselves first. That's why the Bible, the Bible's written the way it is for a reason. God doesn't make a mistake. This is a full thought right here. And just because we add chapters and verse marks, those were never there in the beginning. Those were added so that if I say turn to Ephesians 3, 6, you know to turn to Ephesians 3, 6. Or to tell you turn to Ephesians 3, 6 and there was nothing there, it'd take you half the time to find it. So that's why they're there. But sometimes you've got a complete thought, you've got to look at and understand. What I want you to understand is this as we close this morning. Your perspective is very important. Quit blaming God for everything. And humble yourself before him. Paul suffered a lot in his life. Let's take a second and read about all that happened to Paul in his life. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Two passages left. We're rounding the finish line. We're just about there. Just about there. I told you, I, I hope you're understanding what I'm trying to say this morning. It's one of those things, 
there's so much more I need to chew on this passage of Scripture for myself. But I've been chewing on it for a while, and I just felt the Lord want me to go with it anyways today. But go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Are you right? Here are some things that happened to Paul. So 2 Corinthians 11, look down at verse number 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes, more above measure in prisons, more frequent in deaths often. Now listen to, some of these, listen to some of these things he's saying. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. He's beaten five times, 39 times. Forty was a death sentence. Thirty-nine was a step before that. When they scourged Jesus, they beat him 39 times. Paul says it happened five times to me. Verse 25, thrice I was beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. You know, not just once, three times he suffered shipwreck. And it's not like Gilligan's Island where they found all these wonderful things, had nice huts and everything set up, completely different. Look at what else it says here. So it says there, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Man, besides those things, oh, that's a lot there. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Paul says, not only have all these things happened, but then all the problems that the churches have and the burdens I have there. But what I want you to understand is one last passage. I want you to go back to chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Paul suffered much in his life, but he placed his sufferings in God and his sovereign will for his life. Do you know why Paul said, I, the prisoner of Jesus Christ? Because he wasn't a prisoner of the Jews. He wasn't a prisoner of Rome. He believed that God knew what he was doing. If we take Job for a minute, Job had some awful things happen to him. Do you see how humble Job was for the most part? You know, God had to show him some things towards the end there. Who do you think you are? And ooh, there's some. But after he loses everything, he worships God, shaves his head. If you humble yourselves, it's so much better that way. But look what Paul says, chapter 4, and verse number 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be made manifest in our body. That's what I want you to see. Paul had a lot of things happen. But you know what his perspective was? I'm not a prisoner of everything going on in my life. I'm a prisoner of Jesus. So you could look at those verses there and he says, hey, I'm troubled on every side. 
but God knows what he's doing. I'm not distressed. Hey, I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, but my God hasn't forsaken me. I've been cast down, but I'm not destroyed. Because instead of looking at his problems and being taken captive by the problems he is facing, Paul was taken captive by Jesus Christ, and he knew that God allowed the things into his life for his good, and God was going to work everything out. Instead of getting bitter and prideful against God, Paul humbled himself and was able to rejoice in the midst of everything that happened in his life. There was a lot there that I just said, and I still don't have it all comprehended. But it's a powerful truth. Wherever you're at today, you say this morning, well, pastor, I've been going through a tough time and I don't understand. Why don't you humble yourself today and come to the Lord and bring your burdens to him? You say, pastor, it seems like the Lord's shot me down. He's, per- uh, he's locked me up. He's hemmed me in. Why don't you humble yourself today and come talk to him? You say, well, pastor, I, I see what you're saying and, and I'm thankful God is doing a work in my life then why don't you come and praise him this morning? If you're not saved this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, why don't you get that taken care of this morning? Those verses, let's look at one last time. It's on the screen. It's been up there a while now. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Let's humble ourselves before God. Let's learn to trust him. He wants what's best and he knows what's best. And those circumstances come. None of those circumstances take God by surprise. So well, God then, he allows that to happen. He allows free will. He does. He does. <coughs> but God can take that awful situation and he can still work and bring about his glory in the midst of sinful, wicked men and the things that happen. And he can take your situation and where you are in your life. He can take that and turn it into something he uses for his glory in your life. (coughs) Or you can get prideful about it and do your own thing. Let nothing good come of it. But I believe the Bible. I believe it's true. I believe that when God says something, he means what he says. What a God we serve. Father, I thank you.